Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ladies of Kamikaze podcast, where in each episode, we tackle different aspects of popular culture, including gaming, comics, movies, and more. We talk about what works, what doesn't, and our vision for a more inclusive space for everyone. In this episode, we talk about our favorite and least favorite things like released last year in 2019 and our hopes for the coming year of 2020. On with the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is our first recording for 2020. Um, so rather than sort of dilly-dallying, let's just get into the goods. We're going to be talking about um, the past year, some of our favorite hits or misses. And joining me tonight, we have... Elise. Erin. Oebe. Awesome. So, guys, 2019, pretty big year for popular culture. Um, I figure we'll just sort of go round robin and we'll each talk about some of the things that um, were our favorite things and some of our least favorite things. Um, and to switch things up, we're going to go in the other direction. So, Fuebe, you're up first. Right. <laughs> that was Nikki. I appreciate that. Um, so, among my hits this year uh, is the Netflix Always Be My Maybe which uh, Netflix hardcore sold to me over and over and over again every time I signed in. <laughs> and then finally, I was like, well, I was really into that. All the boys I loved before. I'm here for the Asian American rom-com. I'm going to do it. It almost killed me. Halfway through, something happens. We almost died laughing. We had to turn it off <laughs> <laughs> and come back to it. It's an interesting story, it's well acted, it's quirky, there's some really strange surprises that are strange because they are things that happen in life which are strange, mm-hmm. and it was very well encapsulated, those moments of just like, what is happening here? It's also rewatchable, because it's, mm-hmm. it, it manages its busy moments and its quiet moments really well, mm-hmm. so that you're not like just sort of shotgun through a story so you can have these rest points and like things you can think about what's happening so it's the pacing was really lovely um and just I mean an all-around excellent film I I have never wanted to admit to liking rom-coms because there's something so redundant about them but this particular piece was really fresh yeah I think um has anyone else seen it other than I have. You have. And to your point, I actually watched it in chunks. I couldn't um, watch it all at once because I started it while actually Elise, Valerie, and I were on a trip to Queens, New York, and um, I was by myself for the first night. So I watched part of it, but then I fell asleep. Um, (laughs) And so I had to watch it. Not because it it was bad, right? (laughs) No, 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 no. Because I am am perpetually underslept and (laughs) fall asleep pretty much as soon as I turn anything on. (laughs) That's what puts me to sleep. But I, I enjoyed it and I wanted to, to keep going. And it was, it actually worked really well as something that could be watched in installments, despite being a movie that hypothetically you should be able to get through in one sitting yeah. if you're not perpetually tired. And uh, Foyby, I think what you said too about the fact that it is, it is a traditional rom-com, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're talking mm-hmm. about the genre of rom-coms, they are extremely predictable, right? They all follow this very specific, Yes. you know, they get together, something pulls them apart, they get back together, yes. right? And then there's all the little pieces mixed in. But the fact that um, I too enjoyed this movie, they made it feel a little bit more fresh. And like, I always feel that any time that they can actually get you to kind of root for the characters, mm. they're doing a pretty solid job with something that can often come off as stale 
mm-hmm. if it's not done well. Now, here's my question for you. The part that you had to stop, does it involve a certain cameo? It does. <laughs> I, I was aware that there was going to be a cameo. I don't know how I knew this. Uh, um, the internet pretty much exploded. It might have told me. I'm not sure. But I still wasn't prepared for what I discovered. Yeah, I mean. Because it, it, it goes on. I mean, there are several points in this cameo that just it, just I don't even know it accelerates in a strange way yeah no um that cameo was so infamous on the internet that my husband who would rather like I don't know gouge his eyes out with some blunt instrument um rather than watch rom-coms literally was like did you watch this of course you watched it and I was like yes I did and he goes should I watch the part and I was like you absolutely have absolutely. to watch the part <laughs> and also I mean it, for me it, it there was a moment like I am not Asian American but I have the experience of looking at a movie and seeing black characters in it and like understanding some of the subtext that's happening in the movie. And one thing I've experienced about being black American is like rooting for the other black folks and particularly the hidden black folks who you don't, mm. you, you suspect they might be black, but they're not like mm. really saying it because Hollywood is Hollywood. And this cameo features someone who has been hidden for a long time. Yeah. So to see him come into the space mm. where he was actually among folks who have a somewhat similarity to him in culture and mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. was this like it was so it was like a coming home and I, it, was, it wasn't even my home <laughs> and I just I so appreciated that. I mean, yeah, there were parts that really resonated with me, like you know, even as someone who is not you know as as a white woman, um, there were parts that really resonate. Like there's a whole part where. Um, Ali Wong's character is talking about how like food was a really big comfort for her and sort of like, you know, once again, that sort of ethnic upbringing and the importance Mm -hmm. of food and family. That's a pretty universal thing for a lot of other cultures. And I just, I just, I loved that part. And I also thought it did a really good job of taking um, a character and adding additional nuance to her. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are so many times that you can find those rom-coms where it's like, you know, every Hallmark movie, she is a busy lawyer in New York City. And he's a, you know. Um, Professional dog walker. Right, right. Living in, <laughs> living in her hometown. And she has to, she has to go back to her hometown because like her crazy uncle left her a house that she needs to fix up. You know what I mean? And we like, can write this right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're <done>. welcome right. <laughs> but yeah i think i think that's an awesome pick it sounds like it's a pretty uh solid choice all around at least you're the only one who hasn't watched it i know it. it's on the list yeah it's so. on the list for shame but, uh, now, now i'll move it up i'm gonna okay. move it up yeah um what else did you have on your list um i also have a book called the undefeated which is a picture book poem um, by Kwame Alexander, who is famous for um, uh, a number of verse books, including The Crossover and Rebound. They're geared mostly towards middle grade readers, as they call them, like kids in between, you know, middle school and high school. And um, but this particular picture book is it's interesting because I was looking at other people's reviews of it on Goodreads, and there's one family that reviews books. It's like a, it's a dad and several kids and they reviewed this book and none of them got it. And they're like, this book was boring, you know? And I was like, because this book wasn't for you, right? It's <laughs> actually you. a book that's, it's, it has all of these like black American um, people of note from all different time periods who, some of whom I know, some of whom I don't, and they don't, doesn't say their names in the book. So you're turning to these really gorgeous illustrations that are um, paintings 
by maybe, I think it might be Kadir Nelson. I'm not sure who the illustrator is. Um, but these really gorgeous paintings. And as you turn it, you're seeing all these people. And it's this poem that's going on, like, we haven't been defeated. And, we, you know, we're really, you know, worked to uh, live these real, actual lives that are full of, you know, joy and amazingness. And it's not until you get to the very end where there's a key to all the people. So you don't know who the people are as you're reading along. And it, it has this like, really gorgeous flow to it. It's an unusual book. Um, I don't know how often people will see it if you don't buy picture books or live in the world of picture books. Um, but I went to Kwame Alexander um, has a new uh, imprint at Houghton called Versify, where he is curating the books that are coming in that are getting published by them. And my friend Raul Gonzalez is one of those books. Um, and he's doing picture books. Uh, Vamos, I believe, is the first one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Go and, to the market. And, yes. Yeah. Past ladies con guest. Yes, that's yep. true. Um, so I went to go see Raul and this other guy was there because it's his imprint and they have a bus. I mean, it was like a whole thing. That's awesome. It's really amazing. Um, so it's just, it's a gorgeous book. I highly recommend it. It's okay if you don't necessarily get it. <laughs> Dear family on Goodreads. Um, but I, it's just the flipping through. It's just like it's so saturated with like pride and joy, and it's just it's a lovely thing. It so. looks. Sorry, I looked it up while you were talking about it because I have a laptop here, and it looks beautiful. The paintings are out of control, very lifelike. Yes. Yes, it's very full, and it, it has a some pieces in there too about folks who have died at the hands of police. And in a really smart way to sort of bring that reality into a book, particularly a book for young people. Mm-hmm. And like a, the way that he is bringing them forward is just smart and it's respectful and it's rare to see something like that in a picture book. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to link this back to um, our previous podcast where we were talking about like, you know, genders and gifts. Mm. I'm going to expand that to say like, if you're not that age, doesn't mean you can't buy this book for somebody. It's definitely a great gift book, I think. I mean, it's one of those crossovers where you can you can gift it or just read it. Yeah, awesome. All right, so we talked about two things you really liked. Let's now, like, turn to the dark side, so to speak. <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> – oh, I guess that was a reference of something else that could we talk about that might have been disappointing for some. Um, but let's talk about yours. <laughs> what, you, what are some things for 2019 that – didn't go up to, um, didn't live up to your expectation. I wasn't, I didn't dig the end game, Adventures end game. Um, I mean, I didn't hate it, mm-hmm. but many months out now, looking back at it, it felt really overwrought. And the thing that I struggle with is I feel like it's teaching the wrong lessons about the individual, like uplifting the, the, the choices that the individual makes over the collective and this is my own sort of worldview I'm realizing or I'm I'm aware of but I did it made me worried it it made me worry that how much time was spent on like one person's sacrifice versus what everyone else is working towards and they work together but there's something about pushing certain characters over and over and over again and having us sort of watch them and the choices they make and assumptions made about how those choices were always the correct choices. Just, mm. just it got mm-hmm. me. I didn't dig it. Um, and there's a lot of tokenism overall. Yeah. And this movie takes a moment and just rises tokenism to a level of like, uh, it just, it was exhausting. So I'm not sad that that chapter is hopefully over. 
and perhaps a new chapter will begin in this world of comic book movies that right. I, will be a better fit for my type of watching. You mean the the cinematic, the Marvel Cinematic yes. Universe in general? As it goes yes. on to the new phase. Mm-hmm. As it goes on yeah. to the new phase. I have hopes. And I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. So that was one. Anyone? Anyone? Jumping in? No, I think that's fair. I think yeah, that's I, fair. That's a fair I assessment. think that's a really fair assessment. Yeah. I don't think that any of us left that theater feeling particularly, like, well, there were things satisfied. I really liked about it. And there were things I really didn't. As I, I was saying earlier, it's sort of be, this, I feel like as I was working on my list, this is like mm. the year of neutrality for me. Mm. Like, it was hard for me to find things I felt super strongly about. And I think it, it is like, there were things I really liked about Endgame and there were things that I really didn't like about it. I mean, and I've watched it again since, and it's still fine. Like I enjoyed it, but it definitely kind of stayed in that neutral place on on some parts because there are some parts that I'm like ugh now I like this part even less than I did like I didn't like it the first time and now I still don't like it even more it makes me even more mad yeah I, it mostly made me tired because mm. it's very long <laughs> which I object to in movies generally and then it was the second part of something sort of and so that made it even longer and that made me annoyed um similarly there were parts of it that I liked and I, I don't I think overall if you don't think too hard about it, it's a perfectly fine movie, right? Like if, and that's how most people are experiencing those movies. If you're mm-hmm. just going for an action movie, mm-hmm. then it was fine. Yeah. There was action. I do think some of the fight scenes were a little muddy personally, but overall you got what you paid for. But yes, if you start kind of digging into the messages and the tokenism, I mean, the scene where they have all of the women band together to fight, Right. Actually kind of pissed me off. Here's your cookie, ladies. <laughs> well, and it wasn't even, uh, it was, it was a, it was a snapshot, right? It wasn't even like they really had a, their own battle scene. It was like 30 seconds. Right? It was a, it was a pose, hair, like blow in the wind, like look, okay, She's move, not up, alone. Like, move along, toss that gauntlet to someone else. Like, yes, I think that's yeah. part of why it irritated me mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. Right. So, and also what yeah. you were saying about the sacrifices that certain characters made. Um, I, I noticed that we're trying to keep this, like, not too spoilery, mm-hmm. but... I feel like the more I feel like on this is lifted. Yeah, <laughs> I do too. I just feel like, like, you know, you should have done those characters wrong. Like, it really mm-hmm. it annoyed me. And unfortunately, you know, we're at this point where, because it's something that we see so often, it was literally an eye roll, as mm-hmm. opposed to something that really made me mad. And at the end of the day, once again... I am going to say a spoiler. Had I not gotten my way with Peggy and um, Steve Rogers at the end, I probably would have been more mad about Mm. the movie. Even though I get it, it doesn't make a super much sense. And I know that it was like a fan thingy. Man, I just just wanted those two of the... I just wanted those two to get something nice. And for the love of God, please recast Hawkeye. Like, please... This is my wish for 2020. (laughs) My wish is... Jumping ahead. My wish is... um, to maybe move on. Well, no, they are to move on to the new Hawkeye. I know, they but are with the series. it's both. And so uh, I just think you should take that opportunity and, and recast someone else. Recast for the print. for the Disney Plus show. Oh, interesting. Jensen Ackles is now available. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Well. <laughs> <laughs> or will be available. <laughs> yeah. Jeez Louise. <laughs> it's true, though. It's not. I know that I shouldn't think too deeply about these. I'm a pattern finder, though. 
like, you know, against my own will many times. And over the course of so many movies, I have noticed this pattern. And this pattern is, like, the decisions that the right person makes are always the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then in who is the right person? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think you shouldn't think deeply about it. I'm just saying most people won't. But these people will. <laughs> and that's <laughs> why we're here. We're <laughs> So that was one. Um, the other one, I actually this isn't. This was more of a neutral for me. Uh, was Men in Black? I just watched it. Oh, um, with um, that dude who was blonde hair and the other person. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wait, is it Tessa Thompson? Yeah, Tessa Thompson and, and the guy who plays Chris Thor. Yes. So two as guardians, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Who have chemistry? Great as chemistry in that. Yeah. On a film in Thor. Set. That was still there, but I don't know what was happening around them. Like, there was a lack of writing. It was, there was some stuff happening in this. But what I I appreciated about it, which is why it's sort of a gray space for me, is that I feel like I'm watching a shift from male-centered movies to female-centered movies. Mm-hmm. And they were struggling with this shift. They were they were struggling, right? I mean, they, they were putting in some Bond stuff, and they were like, no, she's... She's a techie. No, she's into she's into aliens. No, she's in no, but she's actually very demure. No, nope. and like they couldn't figure out <laughs> who she was. And so at the same time, they couldn't quite figure out who he was. Because mm-hmm. he was making these asides and these comments about women and like uplifting the word woman. Um, so it was struggling. And I was like, oh, but I, I kind of respect the struggle because I feel like it might be on its way, not this movie in particular. <laughs> But this movie and its cousins. This is like the missing link. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Something <laughs> on its way to movies that understand how to do it. I think um, I think that's a great assessment of it because I too sort of felt the same. Was I I did really love the casting. Like I liked that there was centered around you know the main character, like the sort of the new Will Smith, right? Was uh, Tessa Thompson and I find her really likable mm-hmm. like I've liked her since back in like the Veronica Mars days so I'm thrilled to see her back um, but you're absolutely right they I think by saying that they were confused and like they didn't know what to do with a woman hint guys you just write a good character um, <laughs> there was a decent movie buried in there somewhere mm-hmm. and there were little sparks of it that there were points in it there I was like see that was good guys just why didn't you just keep that up? Like, and the momentum would just die. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an excellent choice, and I like that you're taking sort of a hopeful <laughs> turn on it. This is just an evolutionary yeah. it's a stepping stone. We don't know how many stones will happen between now and like consistent movie. I mean, who knows what women want? I know. Hard to tell. <laughs> All right, Erin, I think you're going to be up on the chopping block next. Okay. Um, so for hits, because I'm me, I went with a prose book because I just determined to make people read. Um, and so I picked Tuesday Mooney Talks to Ghosts by Kate Reculia. Uh, and I found this book um, actually because Gwen Bond, who is also a, a former Ladies Con guest, mm-hmm. uh, recommended it on Twitter. And she just said she had just seen Knives Out, which I still haven't seen, but it's, you know, this murder mystery sort of thing. And she said, if you like this, it's not the same thing, but in the same genre vein, she recommended this book. So I picked it up and 
it's just so much more than a, a mystery. Um, the, the basic premise is there is this eccentric millionaire in Boston. This whole book is set in Boston, which I love, who dies. And he leaves a puzzle for um, everyone to figure out if they'll inherit some portion of his fortune if they can solve this mystery. Mm. And Tuesday Mooney is this woman who is a, she's actually a development um, professional, (laughs) which also spoke to me, um, uh, for the fictional Boston General Hospital. It's totally Mass General. Um, and uh, and she's good at puzzles. And so she sort of embarks on this quest to, to figure out the, the mystery. And there's a mystery buried within the main mystery. But it was just so charming and weird. And Kate Rapulia lived in Boston for a long time. And you can tell because the places are real. Um, she makes references that are actually things that you could see here in Boston and Somerville, uh, the Newtown Grill oh. features. Oh, oh man, that's right down the street. Yes, <laughs> for those who don't know, it is a very old and uh, towny bar in Cambridge. Um, so it was just, it was charming and wonderful, and I think everybody should read it. And it was mostly a pretty feel-good story, which mm. is not what I usually recommend. Mm. So no weeping, no weeping. Yeah, but not a lot of weeping. Maybe like one or two moments, but like overall, not a crying book. Wow. So, yeah, that was that. Um, and then the other, I'll, I'll, I'll go with two. The other is weird because it's a movie, and I never go to the movies because I get bored with sitting and watching things. <laughs> but I decided to go see Jojo Rabbit with my husband and our good friend Gary, and it was great. And I wasn't sure because when you have a movie by Taika Waititi set in Nazi Germany, like, this could be great or this could be terrible. Um you should expand a little bit more too about what the the plot is. So of Jojo Rabbit, yeah, just sort of give people an idea of what it's about. It's so hard to explain, but essentially, it's about a young boy who uh, is a member of the Hitler Youth and actually imagines Hitler as his best friend, this imaginary friend Hitler, played by Taika Waititi, <laughs> and he finds uh, something at, or someone hidden in his home. Mm. Um, and he has to kind of come to terms with things. And it was one of those movies where the, a lot of it was very funny. But all now this was a cry. There, there's crying in this movie. Mm. I mean, as most movies set in that time period probably will mm. elicit. Um, it reminded me in some ways of The Book Thief, if any of you have ever read that. And that sort of, um, so that's a book by Marcus Zusak. And it's got similar themes um, in that way that it's a lot about just like trying to live under this weird regime Mm. um it also has elements of dr strangelove because it's very satirical and it's pointing out like how ridiculous everything is Mm -hmm. some really good uh performances particularly sam rockwell sorry wait has anyone else seen this so it's just me it's me and you erin so so, valerie feel free to step in and 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 expand on what i'm saying here no i I think you describe the plot okay no i think you're doing a great job um and to sort of add to so like because we're talking about sam rockwell's performance which i think was amazing what i appreciated about the movie is for as horrible and monstrous as you know hitler was it also does a pretty decent job of sort of showing how people got caught up. Yeah. Not everybody in it is just a straight out, out monster, right? Like not every person who is a fan of the Nazi party is bad. 
And there are a couple of things in there that are things that we've seen before, right? Like having someone like hidden in your house, right? Mm-hmm. You know, coming up against maybe, you know, some people who were working underground, you know, against the Nazi party. But it's all done in a really fresh and different way. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where you, I never thought that like, I would be sitting there laughing about this group of Nazis all together having to like take turns hiling everybody like (laughs) Stephen Merchant has this wonderful, very short cameo um, where he comes in and he's like, you know, searching the house and it takes forever for anything to happen because we all have to go like, hi Hitler, hi Hitler, like over and over again. And it's done in this way where it literally is pointing out the ridiculousness of the practice and the regime and like how they were doing things while still making you like laugh. And like, it's kind of, charming like it's a really I, interesting i feel complex like that's, watch. that's the, like the the taiko with td like specialty <laughs> I, I haven't seen jojo rabbit but if anyone has seen the hunt for the wilder people which is one of his earlier movies and it's kind of like it's like hilarious 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 gut punch sob like hilarious 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 feeling sobbing hilarious 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 yeah like he just has this way of finding absurdity, but then also kind of turning it back on itself to really get right. you to sort of feel it as well. Right. It it does. It turns because, you know, as um, the kid is living in, you know, an occupied space, he's a member of the Hitler, Hitler Youth, and then the things with the war change. And his relationship with this imaginary version that he has in his head of Hitler starts to change too and it becomes almost more sinister like I really was surprised by it I mean I shouldn't be because Taika Waititi like most of the time going to see his films are pretty pretty slim like pretty slam dunk like I don't really know much that I haven't liked of his but also I also want to say that the Sometimes when movies are led by kids, too, sometimes the acting can feel a little stilted. Oh, no, those kids were amazing. (laughs) These kids were so good that, like, I think my husband and I were talking about, we we literally left the theater and talked about it for, like, two hours straight, that movie. Yeah. Good choice, Erin. <laughs> it was a real highlight. And again, I don't watch many yeah. movies. Yeah. Not so that you was, need my approval, but. <laughs> it, was, it was good that it was, uh, that it was worth going to yeah. see. And um, as of the time recording this, so this is early January 2020, uh, it just got nominated for yeah. a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Several BAFTAs and some Screen Actors Guild, I think. Yep. All right, so those were your my hits. hits. How about how about your misses, Erin? Okay, well, one of them <laughs> might be a little controversial. Oh, here it comes. So it's written, but I didn't like Captain Marvel very much at all. Mm. I wanted to like it so much, and there were parts of it that were good, much like Floyd I was talking about with Endgame. I didn't like out and out hate it. It was more like an overwhelming, crushing sense of madness. <laughs> Yeah, the year of neutrality. <laughs> um, particularly, unfortunately, the worst parts, or rather the best parts of the movie were not Captain Marvel. Mm. Um, Sam Jackson was entertaining for the first time in years on screen. I'm like, wow, that's, that's the Sam Jackson we used to know. Mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. They, they took his face back and then apparently also brought back his charm. It was amazing. He wasn't just phoning it in. Um <laughs> The cat was surprisingly good. Yes. (laughs) But I didn't love Brie Larson as Carol Danvers. Mm. And that's, I mean, and that's, I don't know how much of it is a reflection on Brie Larson herself. No offense, Brie Larson. But to me, and I'm not like a gigantic Captain Marvel 
expert, but we did do an Issues on Issues just last year focused on the character. And so I learned a lot about Carol Danvers through that process. And one, I just think of her as someone with quite a bit more gravitas. Mm, Agree. Because before she even gets powers, she's been like a pretty serious Air Force pilot and Mm. she has a lot of experience. And this gave us a much younger Carol and I get that, but then they accelerate all of her powers and everything. And she just came off as so flat and almost like she wasn't the main focus of the movie. I felt like everything was like, Look over here at this cat and look over here at these scrolls. Mm. <laughs> look over here at the DH Sam Jackson. And I right, didn't right. feel or, like we actually learned that much about who Carol or Captain Marvel is. I was also going to say, look over here at this 90s nostalgia. Yes, yeah, exactly. That was one of the main characters, actually, was nostalgia, <laughs> which is the case a lot. Yeah. Now. That is such a valid point. <laughs> right, yeah. Remember these clothes and this song? You know, and and so, yes, she was kind of a badass, but I just, I wanted more. It was less disappointing to me than Wonder Woman, so that was good. But I'm still waiting for a woman-led superhero movie that I'm, like, jazzed about. I'm waiting for my next Agent Carter. And it's killing me because I love the comic Birds of Prey. And the so-called Birds of Prey Harley Quinn movie yeah. is not going to be it. You're, this is you're not, not going to get that. From, that is not yeah. going to give it to me. I will, I will not be seeing that movie. So I remain hopeful that someday they'll make a good movie about superheroes who are not boys. I also wasn't convinced that they needed to de-age Samuel Jackson because he doesn't need to be yeah. aged. No, yeah. no it's it's, unnecessary. Right, and kind of creepy Uncanny Valley. Yeah, like, he's already doesn't have any particular age look to him. Agreed. Mm, mm. I would have bought him just fine as being from 30 years ago without that. Do you have any other sort of things that you wanted to, to bring up, Erin? My super quick other miss is a comic book, uh, Gabriel Rodriguez's Sword of Ages. And this was disappointing because Gabriel Rodriguez is the person who did the art for Lock and Key, the very successful Lock and Key. Uh, This is a story that he is also doing the writing duties. And here are the things I learned about Gabriel Rodriguez from reading this book. Uh Um, One, he's better at drawing people's faces than I knew from Lock and Key, where I thought everybody looked like ugly potatoes. The art is beautiful in sort of ages. The story, on the other hand... Is not good. I learned that he's also probably a big Mobius fan and also a big Arthurian legend fan, but does not actually maybe totally understand how to make a comprehensible story out of those elements. It just moves super quickly through. It's like little scenes that don't totally make sense. Uh, Certain things are predictable that makes it boring. And then other things are not predictable because they're errant nonsense. (sighs) So um, it was just disappointing because the concept, I love Arthurian Legends and it's Arthurian Legends in space. It should have been cool. It has a cool concept. And it's beautiful. To look at. maybe just flip through the pages and don't actually read it. Ooh, that's too bad. It's too bad when someone has a really great idea, but then the follow through doesn't really work out. Elise is probably the only other person at the table who's read it. Do you have anything to add? Uh, other than that cat, we, we we did like the big cats. We did like the the cats. Yeah, no, no, it was it was rough. It was it was a rough 
book for me, for sure. And I, I feel like it was sort of a common experience. I think we all sort of sat around the table discussing it. Oh, was this something um, you read? Book club. This is a book club book. And okay. we're sort of all equally flummoxed. So, because sometimes I'm reading, you know, and I'm like, am I just missing it? And I think it just was really not consistent storytelling and did tried to do too much too fast and also not enough at the same time. So the the um, emotional investments weren't in the right places. So you didn't care when you were supposed to and you just didn't care at all. Anything you wanted yeah. to actually follow was never going to be discussed again. You just knew. <laughs> we're never going to learn more about this saber-toothed tiger talking cat society other than what it did to, to move the main character along. So I mean, it came in the middle of a bunch of books like this, and it was mostly disappointing because I was trying to convince some of our fantasy haters that maybe they didn't hate fantasy, but this wasn't helping. This, yeah, yeah, that this wasn't didn't the help. book. No, but beautiful. So beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then, last but not least, Elise, you're, you're up to bat. Okay. I mean, I'm going to start, I feel like this is sort of a softball because I have not talked to anyone who didn't like this, but as someone who is, like, I consider myself a casual Star Wars fan. I like the, uh, I guess we'll call them the originals, like the 70s and 80s ones, the best. I'm going to just forget that any existed in like the 90s and 2000s and the most recent ones I've mostly found like good, like I've gone to see them at the movies, except not what's the what's the current one the rise, rise of skywalker. skywalker i haven't gone to see that i'm not that interested actually but i think the mandalorian is great and i'm gonna take baby yoda aside i know i know we all love baby yoda i know but i actually think that the mandalorian is a real deal space western i mean you can watch each episode which is another thing is that it's, it's episodic so it's a different type of storytelling. And I like that kind of like, there's almost is a predictability to it because you can start to see Western tropes. Foybe, I know you like Western. I do like a Western. I have well. been curious, but not curious enough to pay for it. And so it's we'll de- yeah, well, and, and that is a, a piece of it. But I, it's I like, you're like, either. oh, this episode is The Magnificent Seven slash mm-hmm. Seven Samurai. This episode is Shane. Here's your heist one. Here's yeah. your... You know, and if you're into Westerns, it's like a gift. Yeah. Mm. You know, I actually, John Favreau is a solid storyteller. Like, I think he does a really good job in telling the story. The Mandalorian race is also really interesting. You know, thinking about back to our sort of gender neutrality podcast and discussion, I was thinking more about it is that, yes, obviously the main character is male. However, the, the premise of this creed is that you never take your helmet off. So there's an opportunity for gender neutrality in this whole group of people, which is, which is interesting. I mean, you don't, you don't know who's under there beyond like through their actions. And I just really, really enjoyed it. Um, speaking of Taika Waititi, he directed the last episode of the series, which was just a gift. Like the first and it was it 10 minutes yeah, the of first that 10 minutes are great. episode are just a delight. So I was on the fence as well. You know, Dan was very like, yes, let's get Disney plus. Like we have to see this and we have Hulu. So there's whatever connection, but I actually feel like it was worth it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, thankfully Disney plus isn't yeah. that expensive. And between this and I'm hoping that this is just like a harbinger, like, because there's going to be another 
Star Wars series. Um, I'm hoping that this is like sort of like the first of better things. Like maybe it's going to be like the opposite of DC where like they're like, no, sorry, the same as DC where their movie universe is kind of crappy, but they do a good job on TV. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and what's interesting. So I had two coworkers who have seen no Star Wars ever, 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 ever. And over the winter break, they decided to start from the beginning. So New Hope to the Mandalorian. And then, you know, when we got back together at work and at lunch, we like sat down and had a whole discussion on like, how did you, you know, as an adult watching these for the first time, what was this experience like? And even for them, they were like, yeah, you know, this was good. This was good. Like, I can see what was going on here and there. But the Mandalorian. So it kind of that I was like, oh, so this is also like. It's not rooted in that nostalgia, you know, as we talked about, mm-hmm. it's, there's so much rooted in nostalgia now, but for them, there was no nostalgia aspect of it. They mm-hmm. were sort of just taking it in as really fresh and they, you know, they called it out as some of, of their favorite Star Wars universe stuff. Yeah. So. You know, that's an interesting point. So when Rogue One came out, it was general, genuinely people liked it. But I did read some interesting criticism on it, particularly uh, something that uh, Jonan Vasquez said in an interview where he really liked Rogue One. But the problem with Rogue One is that it kept stopping the action to sort of wink, wink at a reference to the, the sort of predetermined Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. And that would slow everything down and it was distracting and it wasn't necessary. Just tell a good story. You don't need to stop everything to give like the warm, fuzzy feelings. And I think he's right because I don't know, maybe I should say Enter the Floor Fist is one of like my favorite things for this year. Like he brought back Vader Zim in a really good way. And I think Mandalorian is doing the same thing where there's enough references that if you're like hardcore Star Wars fan, you're going to get stuff. But it doesn't stop the action and it doesn't prevent those of us who don't know what those things are from enjoying the story. I do feel also that The Mandalorian could be another podcast because I don't think they do a great job in some of the inclusion issues in terms of um, how women are in the show. It takes a little while for women to show up at all. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) But when they do, there are some interesting things that I both like and don't like. Does anyone else have anything to say about Mandalorian other than we, we can't wait for the next season this year? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Like I I was pleasantly surprised. I went into it with not really any expectations and was surprised at how much I liked it. And so that was that was nice. Mm-hmm. All right, so what else do you enjoy this year? Um my second thing is for me at least, and I know some of these have been around, but like 2019 was really my year of the audio drama. And I feel like as a genre, it's sort of coalesced more this year. For those for those who are, are local um, in the Cambridge area, you might know the weekend after Ladies Con in Porter Square was an audio drama convention called Pod Tales. And I think that was definitely the first year of Pod Tales. And I think maybe even one of the first sort, sort of conventions like really focused on audio drama. And uh, so I went down there and it was really fun. I feel like there's a lot of really good content out there now. And so if you're someone who's looking for, you know, there, there, there are continuing ongoing stories. There are like something like uh, the No Sleep podcast that has various horror stories. There's all different kinds of genres. There's all different kinds. I've expanded. I mean, I'm usually sort of a horror kind of creepy stuff girl, but I've expanded. I've expanded my, some of my listening habits. And so that's just been really fun for me as well. I'll make some suggestions. There's King Falls AM, which is sort of like uh, Northern Exposure meets the X-Files. 
takes place in sort of a town where all these creepy things happen. One of the things I really like about it, it's it's there's a lot of content for it right now. Unfortunately, it's on hiatus at the moment, but if you wanted to start it now, you'd have a ton to listen to. And there's really good character development. The relationships really develop, and that's something that I've enjoyed about it. There's one called Girl in Space. There are more and more uh, women-led podcasts. Another one called We're Alive, which zombie apocalypse, so again, sort of on brand for me. And one called Wooden Overcoats, which is about, it, it's, a, it's humor. Uh, it takes place on a small British island where there are two competing funeral homes. Hmm. And it's really, really funny and fun. So I think audio drama is really cool. I think I have sort of reached a saturation point of podcasts that are particularly political and current events based. So for escapism, they are particularly nice. Mm. How about your misses, Elise? Oh man, my misses. A huge miss for me is the Netflix series, The Toys That Made Us. I don't know if any others have had opportunity to watch this. I only um, watched the first season. Yeah, but the was... second season actually was is the one that was particularly like has actually made me wonder if I'm gonna watch these anymore. This should be like a really fun show. I mean, speaking again, completely the show is completely based on nostalgia. So it takes a look back at the toys from pretty much like the eighties and what's the backstory, right? So there's an episode on My Little Pony. Like, how did My Little Ponies get developed? Who thought of this? Like, how did it, what was the marketing theory around it? Why are they so curvaceous? Why, <laughs> or yeah, why did they change over years, right? They used to be like a little plumper and all of a sudden they were skinny with bigger eyes and eyelashes and all this stuff. So as a documentary, it actually should be fairly interesting because these are things that, you know, I grew up with. Right, it's literally the choice that made us. Yeah, people yeah, it's absolutely, it's absolutely <laughs> like if you're in your like mid thirties to mid forties, it is completely geared towards you. However, if you are a woman, <laughs> it is not geared towards you. I don't know what was going on. The editing and the writing, it's the. I mean, I don't know if this is a this is an industry thing. Like it's they're trying to show what the industry was like. But it is the most, it is, it was just so over the top misogynistic. Genuinely, there would be moments where I was like, what am I even watching anymore? You know, one of the episodes starts with this. It wasn't even about Barbie. It might have been the My Little Pony one. It started with this very strange naked Barbie with the camera like kind of panning around her naked body as she, the, as the doll kind of curved on the, it was so bizarre and strange, particularly when the episode was not even about Barbies, but it was just this really weird sexualization of a doll. <laughs> I thought that actually really sucked because this could have been something that is interesting, entertaining, educational. And I walked away from it kind of feeling crappy. Yeah, I am. Um... It turned me off pretty fast for a couple of reasons. One reason being that they didn't do a bunch of, pro like the first, the first go around, there weren't that many properties that I was interested in. And I didn't, yeah, it's true. For something that's called like the toys that made us, I didn't feel like it was being made for me. It's not made. Well, that's the thing. It's not, yeah. it's not made for women. 
Um, it's the toys that made boys. And I would I would mm-hmm. argue that so the the episodes mm-hmm. that are for toys that were sort of for I put it in quotes for boys. Right. Yeah. Since... Well, because it is particularly broy. Like I feel like it yeah. really drives home a very um, masculine culture. In in those episodes, I feel like the the stuff is presented in a very like this is us and like we take this really serious and it's okay to take this serious because of the nostalgia and like we're talking about this on like an anal like you know on an analytic level to be like okay, so what was going on in the toy industry at the time and like what was it you know like and then these people copied these people and like all of this drama or whatever and it's taken like much more seriously and then I feel like when we get to things like Hello Kitty and Barbie, it's like, "Oh, look at this wacky thing that people liked." Oh. Girls also <laughs> played with toys. Yes. <laughs> so quaint, right, guys? <laughs> and and I realized that some of the we're talking about you know people who you know were like sort of in the power like in power in the eighties. The eighties were not a very like pardon me for using this term woke time. So yes, it's very like those people who they're interviewing are talking about the way they behaved in a certain time period and like how the industry was. But it's true when they make edits they do make decisions on sort of how that information is presented. Well, and the interviewer still has an opportunity to fill. I mean, if it's a documentary and it's being presented by people who are not, who grew up in the eighties, aren't, you know, weren't adults in the eighties making these decisions. You could have exactly the same analysis right. for Barbie or Hello Kitty. And Barbie is, you know, obviously predates the eighties by quite a bit. Um, so we could start there. But, you know, there's no excuse to not do that same level of analysis just because this isn't a thing that you personally cared about. That's just bad documentarianism. <laughs> I wondered about that word. Also, yeah. do they do the rock tumbler? No. No, it's so. mostly it's mostly like um, branded products. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, oh. uh, like um, what's the, the properties. License, license properties. Yeah. 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 Like yep. But actually, that's a good. Yeah, that's true. So because they're doing licensed properties, it really is cut into like these four episodes are the boys toys and these four episodes are the girls toys. And I promise you that there are people who are just watching like, okay, I'm only going to watch like the He-Man one and uh, I'm going to watch the G.I. Joe one and I'll skip these other ones. I was going to say none of the episodes started with a naked He-Man doll and a slow pan. (laughs) (laughs) Or naked Skeletor, whatever is your thing, but I'm just saying. (laughs) This is only getting worse. Maybe, and on that note, <laughs> um, actually, now is actually a good time to sort of wrap things up. So, did anybody have any sort of last comments that they wanted to say before we we say goodbye? Nothing. So, like, cautious optimism for twenty twenty. Sure, let's all do a quick thing that we're cautiously all optimistic right. about. One thing, don't even like describe it. Just tell me what it is, Elise. Uh, it's going to be the lock and key series since. I really like that bit of Gabriel Rodriguez's writing, and I'm hoping that will be better. Awesome. Erin, anything from you? I'm hoping the second part of My Favorite Thing is Monsters comes out. Oh, excellent. And Fuebe? I was struggling earlier. Still struggling. I'll say uh, this past summer I went to um, Jacob's Pillow dance theater Mm. out in Western Mass, and I am hoping to go back because that was amazing. I like and that. More dance for 2020. More dance in 2020. <laughs> That's, all, you know, I and that is the perfect way, I think, to end it. <laughs> so thanks for joining me, ladies, and we hope that the rest of you join us on our next podcast. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Valerie here. And on behalf of all of the ladies of Kamikaze, we'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard and you're interested in checking out more of our content, you can visit us online at ladiesofkamikaze.com. 
There you can read our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and if you're in the Boston area, learn how you can join us for our various events, including LadiesCon. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again, and hope you join us next time.